to the Francis Farmer Show. It's our Shakespeare episode, tying in with the first folio, which is currently in downtown Seattle on view through the middle of May, I believe. Um, before we get to all of the stuff that we're going to get to on the show, and we're going to get to a lot, a lot of Shakespeare stuff going on, uh, a lot of, you know, Seattle screen stuff, what Sean watching, the whole kit and caboodle. Before that, we do have to acknowledge today. Because today is, like it is every year, the greatest day of the year, really. Uh, I think we're in agreement on that, Sean, because today, of all days, is the day the new Melvin's album came out. And Ooh. I'm very excited about it. Listen I, to I it. Thought, I thought you were, you were going uh, Life of Pablo there. <laughs> Uh, it is also Sean's birthday. So everybody out there, if you could join me in singing Sean happy birthday at the beginning of this show, uh, we'll do it now. That's really, more, that's really more of a, a new Weezer album level event. <laughs> um, if you, if you were singing, if you're trying to start singing, Sean edited it out because I sang him the whole song. It, it just happened. You, you missed it probably because he cut it out. Um, but happy yeah, birthday, it was, Sean. It was too glorious to share with the world. <laughs> That's right. My off-key uh, warbling. Uh, now, how you doing on your birthday, Sean? What'd you do today? Uh, I was home on the couch uh, with a cold with my kids who also have colds. Uh, glorious. I mean, I couldn't have planned it better. It's pretty typical. <laughs> We're always sick. Yeah. Well, uh, the new Melvin's album's good. I'll give you that. So is Life of Pablo. <laughs> Haven't listened to the Weezer album, though. Yeah, this is like, like the fifth Weezer album that's just called Weezer, I think. Yeah, Weezer, I don't know. I don't know what's up with Weezer. Um, anyway, Shakespeare. Shakespeare. The, the Weezer Weezer. of playwrights, if you will. That's right. The Rivers Cuomo <laughs> of playwrights. Um <laughs> Yeah, so uh, like we said, tying in with the first folio, which is in Seattle uh, for a month, uh, kind of a big deal in some circles. I don't know. Whatever. I haven't seen the damn thing. There's security guards everywhere. You can't get near it. But um, we're talking about two films today that are uh, based on Shakespeare plays. Uh, Prospero's books, which is based on The Tempest, uh, one of Shakespeare's, uh, you know, at the end of Shakespeare's career writing career um and Gen princess of generally what? considered generally considered to be his his final solo play right his final solo play uh and then we're going to the other end of the spectrum uh for one of the earlier plays uh love's labor's lost which is the basis for matthias pinheiro's uh the princess of france uh from 2000 20, <laughs> what <laughs> princess 20, of twenty thousand. Princess of France from 2014. Uh, so we're doing the older play, which is the older movie, the earlier play, the newer movie. <laughs> but gotcha. we're going to talk about the we're going to talk about the older movie and the the light, later play first. <laughs> yes, I'm so eloquent. All this Shakespeare's got me just you know. <laughs> yeah, clearly you you're inspired. Of course. Um, and, and like I said, on top of that, we're going to talk about uh, stuff that's happening in and around Seattle. Uh, we're going to pick our essential Shakespeare film, all that good stuff. But uh, first of all, let's uh, dive in with a clip from... Are we doing clips or are we doing music? Uh, this will probably be a clip. This will probably be one of the 
one of uh, John Gilgood's speeches. Dead. I had forgot the foul conspiracy of the beast Caliban and his confederates against my life. You do look, my son, in a moved sort, as if you were dismayed. Be cheerful, sir. Our revels now are ended. These are actors, as I foretold you, were all spirits and are melted into air, into thin air. And like the baseless fabric of this vision, the cloud-capped towers, the gorgeous palaces, the solemn temples, the great globe itself, yea, all which it inherit, shall dissolve, and like this insubstantial pageant faded, leave not a wreck behind. We are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little life is rounded with a sleep. So that's a clip from uh, Prospero's books from 1991, filmed by uh, director Peter Greenaway, and uh, it was the follow-up to his big hit, uh, The Cook, the, what's the, what's that movie called? The Cook, The, the Thief, Cook, The, the life, Thief, His Wife, and wife Her Lover. Them, yes. Um, and it's actually a film that uh, John Gilgood, who plays Prospero in this, uh, had been trying to make for ever. He, he had played the character uh, in The Tempest, several times on the stage uh one of the first of the, time was in 1930 yeah one of the you know big names in shakespeare uh you know uh productions uh, during the 20th century but anyway he's trying to get a, a film off the ground of, of uh, the tempest and rumor has it that he went to several directors uh really interesting names cropping up there you've got uh kurosawa he uh, the closest he got to to making it before they did this was with uh, Orson Welles, who the two had teamed up in uh, Chimes at Midnight, which uh, is really really good. <laughs> but yeah, it, it didn't happen apparently because Chimes was not financially successful, they couldn't get backing for The Tempest. Yeah, uh, which is a bummer because that would have been pretty amazing stuff. But uh, I, I, I really, I can't. Orson Welles was going to play Caliban, and I really can't see that. It, it would be a very different take on the role than the uh, I hope than, <laughs> than the Greenaway interpretation. Uh, Sean is referring to the uh, extensive nudity. Uh, the copious amounts of genitalia that crop up in Prospero's books, or at least that's what I'm assuming that you're referring to. Well, uh, th well, that and also the the ballet. Right, <laughs> I would love to see Orson do some ballet. <laughs> uh, although he was flat-footed, so I, I, you know, I don't know if that would have worked so well. Yeah, but, I'm, sure, I'm sure that would have been the problem. <laughs> so the film is, uh, in some respects, it's pretty faithful to the Tempest, at least plot-wise. Um, but at the same time, Greenaway is uh, very idiosyncratic in terms of staging and execution of it. Um, and the film is, is all shot on sets um, with tons of extras, most of them butt-naked or close to it. Um, and th the differences are visual, obviously. There's, there's, a, there's some really interesting 
uh, cool effects with like superimposed imagery and um, all kinds of kind of neat little tricks that uh, he does with the camera. And uh, and then also the character of Prospero is writing the story and dictating it aloud and, and actually voicing uh, almost all of the characters throughout the, the, the film um, where on, on screen he'll be talking uh, and then you he'll, you know go to a two shot or whatever and you see the next person. Well, actually there aren't even two shots in this movie really, but uh, they won't be talking, but you'll hear his voiceover of what they would be saying. So it's uh, it's a little abstract. <laughs> it's a little weird. Uh, it's, it's, it's very overwhelming. Uh, there's a lot going on. There's a rich tapestry of what's going on here, um, in the film. And, uh, but I think it's, a, I, you know, I would say that it's a faithful version of the Tempest. Would you agree, Sean? So I said on last week's episode that I hadn't read the play yet and that I was going to by the time we recorded this one. And that is mostly true. Uh, I read... Uh, I'm up somewhere in the middle of Act 4, and uh, it's really good, and the movie, uh, as far as I can tell, is is pretty accurate, not just to the, the you know, like the, the words of the play, but also kind of the, the spirit of it. Yeah, uh, it's, so, it's, it, it, it's an interesting, like, uh, yes, I agree with you. I, it's, it's funny because the play to me, and I've only read it, I've never seen it performed, but um, in my head, a, uh, a cinematic version of it would be probably one of the most like it would it would be the Shakespeare play I would want to be shot outside, <laughs> um, with you know the the storms and all of that stuff. But he actually does a really good job of using the sets and I mean and the sets are insane in this movie, um, yeah, really well, incredible. So, so much of of the play is is weirdly self-reflexive like there's the the speech that uh i think was the clip that we used of, of gilgood talking is it's basically acknowledging that that this is all an illusion that it's a play and that he that prospero as an illusionist is you know greenway is making really explicit this parallel par- parallel between prospero and shakespeare yeah. it's kind of implicit in the text Yes, absolutely. Which is what makes it really fascinating, you know, as as we said, like as the as the kind of farewell of Shakespeare, you know, like we said, it, uh, last play he kind of wrote himself um, to, to, to have that that character and the whole tie in uh, kind of be uh, in line with playwriting uh, is is really interesting. And, uh, and yeah, yeah it's, it's a very explicit inside the film yeah it's so tempting to read it as as autobiographical and it's it's probably it probably shouldn't be but but critics and this this is true of film critics or or and literary critics can't can't resist saying that you know shakespeare wrote this play about the uh an illusionist who breaks his staff and throws away his books and is going to like retire and then shakespeare did exactly that right and that kind of drives the idea that the Tempest was the last play that he wrote, and and there's some evidence for that, but but dating Shakespeare plays is like notoriously uh, difficult to do. Right. So. Well, and I actually find you know what I find about the text more interesting though is uh, like I I don't care so much about whether it's Shakespeare or not, but I I do love like the 
the finale where, you know, it acknowledges the audience and says that, you know, we'll get away with, you know, whatever the fancy way of saying, it, you know, with your applause, we will break free or whatever um, of the spell. And uh, it's like a Tinkerbell. I love it. I think it's yeah. so great. I mean, that's 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 really cool stuff. And uh, and I really like how it's portrayed in the film as well, um, where at that moment he's it's this this uh close-up of Gilgit's face which turns out to be um projected on a wall which the camera then pulls back from and there's like this water and these people clapping and it just keeps pulling back f- farther and farther and the camera movement in this movie is really cool stuff yeah and uh and that and that speech you know it because you know that it's John Gilgood and that he's like 87 years old and that he's been doing this his whole life I mean, it's uh, it can't help but but get some extra meaning for that, as it's kind of this uh, this like final speech from a, a great actor saying goodbye to his audience, mm-hmm. and it's it's really it's really lovely, and like his his performance is 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 great, obviously, uh, for for other things, but you know just you know adding that biographical element to it as well. It just made it uh, a lot more moving for me, I think. Well, than, and I than think... if it had been like, I don't know, like Mark Rylance giving that speech, or if or if he did it, or if Gilgood did it like fifty years earlier or something. When he, right. yeah, uh, yeah, I get that. Um, and he's he's clearly having a ball. Um, oh, you he's, know. he's having so much fun, <laughs> <laughs> and he's pretty much the only one that doesn't get naked. In this, <laughs> um, actually, he's naked in the beginning, but yeah. but uh, but he's kind of uh, obs- certain bits are obscured. Uh, but <laughs> you know, after after like seventy years of of making like British theatrical Shakespeare films, you, you kind of think he had to love doing this just insane nudist tempest, right? Oh yeah, oh it's got it. It's uh, yeah, and I don't think I don't think the whole thing is entirely successful. Well, I. I shouldn't say that. Um, yes, I think that's true, and I, and I and I love seeing Shakespeare in different guises, you know, and 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 as we said, the text is very faithful, but this is not your staid, you know, British theater performance of the Tempest or anything like that. I mean, it's very expressive and all those kinds of things. Um, uh, it, it's it's a Peter Greenaway film, and yeah, and if you if you like Peter Greenaway, you 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 probably really like. Peter Greenaway, and if you don't, then you you can't stand him. <laughs> and uh, this is, I think, the third Greenaway film I've seen, and and I, I like him. Um, yeah, you know, I kind of fall in the middle on on regards in the regards to this movie, and it might just be where my head was at when I saw it, but um, I think it gets much better as it goes along. I think the second half is is really good. Maybe that was just by the that point is when I got into the rhythm of the thing, which. Uh, often happens with me in Shakespeare, you know, I well, kind of have to, I think, I, I think that the play really picks up in the second half too. That's true. Um, but the beginning with the endless shots of, you know, little boys like urinating, um, and some of the, some of the early sections, um, they just feel like they drag. Yeah. Uh, dramatically they drag a little bit. Um, but once, once we get into, uh, the Mark Rylance, um, what's his what's his character name? Uh, Ferdinand. F- Ferdinand. I was gonna say Frederick. Yeah. Um, once the whole uh, love portion comes in, and they, uh, 
uh, that part's great. And and uh, actually, that's like one of the only times that Prospero kind of shuts up for a second. <laughs> yeah. And the music is swelling, and there's this really great ball that they're you know going through, and um, that's when I really was like, oh yeah, this is I'm really digging this. And then I kind of maintain that. Uh, all the way to the end but in the beginning there was a little bit too much of that uh, i don't know it, it takes a while because the the, con- the conceit of the play i guess for we haven't actually you know talked about the plot um uh it, it takes a while to set up because it's it's very schematic like prospero creates a storm uh which makes a which causes a shipwreck and uh all of these different people land on his island uh and he's uh, divided them up into into separate groups because on the ship are the king of Naples, who conspired with his younger brother to depose Prospero as the Duke of Milan. And uh, Prospero wants to get his revenge on the Duke, and he wants to get his his dukedom back. So he 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 splits up all these people, and so we have to in, we're introduced to each group separately, and they're all. Uh, isolated on different parts of the island and uh, like Ferdinand is by himself and he interacts with uh, Prospero's daughter Miranda and then there are these two drunk guys and they meet up with Caliban who is uh, the savage that that Prospero has taught language uh, but he's uh, still evil because his mom was an evil witch. Sycorax. Sycorax. And then there's uh, the rest of like the noblemen who just kind of wander around and like some of them are conspiring to kill the king. Uh, so all of that takes a while to set up because you have to, in, you have to meet all of the different people and you have to have Prospero talk about them and you have to have uh, uh, Ariel who is uh, the spirit of the island that Prospero has... Uh, partially freed but partially enslaved um you have to have him going around uh peeing on everything <laughs> so it, it takes a while it takes a while you gotta you gotta get your urine quotient then and you know all those but, kinds of things but once all of the pieces are in place and you see how the various schemes uh are going to play out and then once the like the dominoes start falling and everyone uh comes to like the middle of the island and meets prospero then things really take off and and then the play goes you know somewhere you totally don't expect it to like yeah. I, I didn't know this story at all I, I I knew I I knew nothing about how it ended and I was really surprised and really moved by uh what Prospero does in the last act uh not just in yeah. in giving up magic but in just giving up revenge yeah it's, you think you think it's gonna have this very tragic you know, it's going to be Hamlet or it's going to, you know, it's going to uh, it's going to have this very severe ending because he's caused the storm and brought all these people together. And then he's just like, you know what? <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, it's cool. <laughs> it's it's unlike I've, I've ever anything I've ever seen in in Shakespeare. Yeah, it's not really a tragedy. Like you you, you think with the name and, and and everything that happens prior to that you're like oh this is gonna get some heavy duty stuff uh, and again and it's heavy duty but in a totally different way yeah uh, i think that nobody nobody dies in 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 the story yeah 
Well, uh, I mean, I haven't read. I mean, like in the movie, in, in the movie dies. Yeah, yeah no, nobody dies, and, and I'm pretty sure it follows the play. I haven't read the play. The the um the the when I read the play was um actually working the box office at the at the metro where we used to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I. You know, I would work a, a sleepy Tuesday matinee or whatever, and I would, you know, work my way through a Shakespeare play. Um, and so that was the last time I read The Tempest. Um, but yeah, it really stuck with me. But I, yeah, I don't think anybody dies. Yeah, um, and I mean, I, I, n- nobody out there listening needs me to tell them that hey, The Tempest is a good play. Uh, but, <laughs> but you know, not not knowing that that was that was uh, you know that was my reaction, and it, it it's weird in in watching uh, a Shakespeare film, especially a, a play that you don't know that you've never seen before, and watching it on film, uh, it it becomes really hard to evaluate. Uh, like if you're trying to be critical, if you're trying to evaluate what you liked about the movie being the Shakespeare, or what you liked was the adaptation of the Shakespeare. And for most films, you don't really consider that. Like you don't you don't look at like the Big Sleep and right. and say you know that it's a good movie, but really it's it's all Raymond Chandler. Uh, right. But there's this expectation with Shakespeare that the movie has to do something else. Like it can't just be this is great source material and it's a great movie because it's a great source material. And it, 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 they're hard to criticize for me. Yeah, I get that. <clears throat> because, you know, I, I really liked this movie, but did I really like the movie or did I really like The Tempest? Yeah, I, well, right. I, I think, yeah, it can be difficult to separate those things. I, but you can look at the things that Greenaway adds to the film that are not, you know, obviously not part just part and parcel of the text, you know, the, the imagery that he puts in there. Um, I, I love these, uh, all of these, uh, the animations on these books. Uh, Prospero's got all of his books, the 24 books, which culminates in the, the uh, Shakespeare plays. Um, but he's got, you know, it's really of, like the only verbal additions that Greenaway makes to the play. Right. Uh, the book of water, book of love, all of these things. And, and each time he, he introduces one, it's it's done in a really great uh, manner where you'll you know there's a book that, of mirrors and and it'll and it'll show you like every facet of what a book of mirrors would be like or the the book of the Minotaur actually has like animation of a Minotaur um, moving and um, the book what was the book uh, the book that moves what was that one called I forget what that the was book called. of motion was that what it was called I think I think so. That's pretty boring. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that was really, you know, the way they, they showed that. Oh, yeah, A Book of Motion. There it is. Um, but anyway, um, so he does those kinds of things, which uh, I, I think make it, you know, cinematic and make it interesting uh, on its own level. Um, yeah, and, you know, there's there's the nudity. And, there's the nudity. And the nudity is... is uh, is non-stop all, yeah all all of the the spirits that inhabit the island uh walk around naked <laughs> all the time men women young old you know pretty not so pretty <laughs> doesn't matter they're walking around naked because they're, they're naked. spirits and spirits don't need clothes yeah you know and uh, and so they're they're like these really like you mentioned the the camera movements there's these really beautiful kind of processional shots just long sideways tracking shots of like a, a parade and there's you know there, there are people marching and there's like some interpretive dance a little ballet 
uh, like for the uh, like for the wedding sequence, there's there's a masquerade and there's like these uh, uh, really high pitched singers who are like the three. Uh, there's supposed to be three goddesses singing, uh, and it's just this really really long sideways tracking shot of all of these naked people, and it's really beautiful through this like huge set. Yeah, and I'm glad, you know, the it, they do that shot a couple of times, and the first time is during the opening credits. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, why you, like, I want to just watch this shot without, you know, seeing who the costume designer is, you know, like, it's, it's really, really cool. And luckily, he does it uh, a few more times after that, um, and it's great every time. It is really, I mean, the amount of effort that had to go into staging all of that stuff yeah, um, and, and coordinate it and it's and it's not just it's not just a long tracking shot for the sake of having a long tracking shot like it 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 feels like a scroll unfolding like it, it right. adds this kind of archaic sense to the story that we're seeing which is in fitting with with the old books and the and the the shakespearean language and it it, it it's all of a piece yeah, and it's not like the camera movement itself. It, there's nothing flashy about that. It's just mm-hmm. moving left to right on a gigantic soundstage. I mean, there's not any like swooping motion or anything like that. It's just yeah. capturing, you know, 200 naked people, um, all with a very you know specific task doing their thing while John Gilgood in the, is in the middle just intoning in his, you know, voice these, you know, very beautiful lines. And yeah, it's it's. Pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, the the images are so densely packed, which is which is in keeping with with Renaissance art. Like the 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 spirits look like Renaissance art figures who yes. are you know generally naked. Um, yeah, there's, there's I just, mean there's there's so much information going on in any frame, not just with like superimpositions and like the weird kind of like digital box that he has mm-hmm. uh, several times, but just a, a single frame has you know, like 20 different people all doing different things that all have, you know, you know, they might have some kind of symbolic meaning. They might just be cool looking or just weird. Uh, who's to say what the difference is? Uh, but there's just, there's so much to look at in any given shot. Yes. Um, the, the, the shot where, uh, he, everybody kind of comes together, um, it, uh, where all of the the people that were shipwrecked and, and this is kind of the, that, that kind of pivotal moment when Prospero is kind of like, you know what? Fuck it. I, I give up or, or, you know, I don't care anymore. Um, but that that shot is really interesting, too, because it comes in, you know, there's the naked people and then the the, you know, dukes or whatever are in the middle of this ring this circle um and they're all in their fineries and stuff and the camera kind of weaves in between them and 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 uh back and forth as they're exchanging their dialogues and stuff and you see the people the nude people in the background and there's this one woman who uh she just can't she can't get her hand on her ass right like (laughs) she's talking you know the guys are talking in front of her and you keep seeing her like She's trying to be still, but for some reason that hand keeps creeping. Um, but anyway, it's just this really interesting, uh, like you said, it's a tapestry where um, there's multiple planes of action of what's going on, and uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I really love, I really love this movie. I, I think it's great. I think it's good. I, you know, I, I might need to come back to it. Um, sometime in the future when I know what I'm getting myself into um, mm. 
and um and maybe I'll be able to appreciate the first hour a little bit more. I was, I, like I said, I I was losing steam there in the middle, um, and then then it picked up when there was the um, the wedding preparations and all of those kinds of things. Um, it was pretty cool from that point forward, um, and I and I really loved the end. I thought the end was really good. What what did, what did you think of of young Mark Rylance? Because he he's a guy who I I I don't think I'd ever even heard of before Bridge of Spies. Uh, right, where which is like twenty five years later, uh, but right. he has a reputation as like one of the greatest Shakespearean actors. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it. I think he's good. I think his presence is good here. Um, it's kind of hard to judge completely because it, like we said in this movie, it's so very staged. Like he he only gets to actually voice like a couple of lines himself near the end um, because. Well, I think I think he uses his voice more than any other character, other than than Gilgood. Right, but there's still a lot of uh, that being voiceover instead of him, you know, actually speaking um, right. on on screen or whatever. But uh, but no, I think he's good. Um, I re- the scene of them in the kind of the field where he um, where Prospero actually uses his magic to to uh, freeze him and take his sword. Right. Um, yeah, it's good. It's interesting to see a, a young uh, Mark Rylance. I actually thought, you know, because you told me, you texted me before I watched it, and you said, uh, "Get ready for naked Mark Rylance." And mm-hmm. I was like, "Whoa, now I gotta slot this, you know, sooner <laughs> rather than later." Um, but uh, at first, I thought he was um, when the movie when the, when the movie started. I was like, "Is he Caliban?" Because you know, you can't really tell who that you can't really see Caliban's face very well. It's painted red as are his testicles. Um, and he's doing this like, you know, I don't think those are actually, I think that's a, they're, they're, they're prosthetic testicles. Yeah. (laughs) Um, they're very shiny, but, uh, at first I was like, wait, is that Mark Rylance? Like, is he like a dancer? Um, because he doesn't show up until like halfway through. And then when he shows up, you're like, Oh, that's exactly, that's exactly what Mark Rylance looks exactly exactly what you would think Mark Rylance looked like 25 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but he's good. Yeah. Yeah. I like him. I'm glad he won an Oscar. Yeah, I think uh, I think that that scene with him and and Miranda where they first fall in love was was really sweet and really romantic. I, I really like that. That was yeah. that was where like the movie first really kind of clicked for me. That that's what I yeah yeah exactly. I I think for some reason that and I think the movie spends more time because like you said, um, the it kind of jumps between all of these characters or you know the 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 two sets of characters that uh, Prospero's kind of thrown across the island or whatever. But um, yeah, when those two are together, that's where it really kind of uh, gets into a good rhythm, and I and I got invested, I guess. Yeah. But maybe it's just because I'm a hopeless romantic and it's kind yeah. of kind of cute. Have you have <laughs> you have you seen any Greenaway before? I've not seen any Greenaway before. I, uh, I was gonna see Eisenstein and uh, Guanajuato when it played at SIF. Was that last year? Yeah, yeah, and I I didn't get a chance to, um, and then I haven't seen the cook, the thief, his life, wife, and her lover, um, so no. Yeah, um, I've I've only seen the the Eisenstein film and uh, one of his two films about uh, Rembrandt's painting, uh, The Night Watch. Mm. Uh, he did one uh, that is like a documentary about the painting uh, that I really liked called Rembrandt's uh, Jacques. And apparently that uses recreations from his film, like fictional film about the painting of the Night Watch called Night Watching. 
and I haven't seen that, but I saw Rembrandt Syracuse, and I really like mm. that. Uh, yeah, I'd definitely be interested yeah. in seeing more of his stuff, um, for sure. Yeah, any any of like his his like eighties stuff I haven't seen. Like uh, Zed and Two Knots, I think is is supposed to be good. Yeah, um, I really like that title. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, he's a he's a subject for further research. Definitely, absolutely. So uh, so yeah, that's uh, our discussion of Prospero's books. We're gonna take a quick break here. We're gonna listen to some music from A Midsummer Night's Dream, I believe, because it's free and we can steal it. Yeah, and it's April Fool's Day. And it's April Fool's Day, and it's your birthday. So yeah, this is this is the the overture from Mendelssohn's uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, and it's from a uh, a radio concert in 1942, the NBC Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Arturo Toscanini. Okay, welcome back to the show. Uh, it's time to turn our attention to Sean on his most blessed of days. Uh, he's in his birthday suit in uh, in honor of Prospero's books. Uh, <laughs> Sean, as, as I mentioned on the last episode of the show, uh, March was for me screen-free month. The only stuff I really watched was for this show. Um, so I've got, I got, I got nothing. You, and let me tell you, that was obnoxious. <laughs> what was obnoxious about that? <laughs> you're like not answering your emails. <laughs> you're not watching anything to review for the website. 
you know, sometimes you got to step away, uh-huh. just take stock of things. Yeah. Uh, it was good for my own personal sanity. Let me say that much. Um, but much. you filled in the gap. I know you did. I know you mm-hmm. wouldn't let me down. So let's let's talk about what you have been watching in a segment I like to call What's Sean Watching? Uh, well, uh, first of all, uh, uh, fulfilling a promise that we made at the uh, – <laughs> in, in the in the middle of last <laughs> week's episode, uh, we talked about the Pioneers of African American Cinema series that's going on at the Grand Illusion uh, here in Seattle, and has also been touring around the country. Uh, but it concludes this Sunday with a, a pair of films directed by uh, a guy named Spencer Williams, and I watched one of them. Yes, you did. It was an hour long. <laughs> it's on YouTube, uh, and Mike, you did not watch it. No, I did not watch it. Yes. I, uh, I d- didn't happen. Uh, but it is—it's uh, actually pretty good. Uh, It's—it was—it was a really interesting movie. It's called Dirty Gertie from Harlem, USA, which is not an especially promising title, but uh, it is based on a short story by Somerset Mom, who, of course, also wrote uh, *The Razor's Edge*, which uh, which we talked about. A few episodes ago, and it's about a uh, a showgirl, a, a stripper, who goes, uh, who leaves Harlem and goes to a remote island where she's going to put on a show, and uh, this uh, entices the various men of the island. Uh, there's a sailor and a soldier, one of whom is named uh, Big Boy, and the other one is Tight Pants. <laughs> that's basically us yeah that, i was thinking the same thing uh there is a uh, a uh, minister who arrives on the island with on the same boat with gertie uh his name uh surprisingly enough is mr christian and he is very appalled by her show because you know she's a stripper and he tries to get uh her shut down but uh also seems like he might be kind of into her if you know what i mean yeah. Uh and then she uh she starts at least one love affair with uh with a uh, a man on the island and she's kind of escaping from another one that has gone wrong in some way and it all comes to a very bad end which is uh telegraphed when she goes and visits a voodoo woman who is played by the director Spencer Williams in drag. Nice. Which is kind of weird. Um but yeah, it is. Uh, it's a, it's a it's a it's a cool story, and and Williams uh, makes a really interesting, really kind of atmospheric adaptation out of it on no budget at all. Like this, these this is like this is like truly independent cinema in in 1946. Uh, the the actors are are, are clearly inexperienced, uh, especially in the beginning. They just kind of stumble over their lines, and because. You know they're only allowed like a limited number of takes because takes are expensive. They just have to kind of keep going, even though the actors are like saying the wrong line, yeah, and, like, gotta... and, and catching themselves and then like, going back. You know, like like I do constantly on on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but but it 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 still works, and and uh, you know it uh, it made me kind of think of uh, of what it is that makes a movie good because. 
we're we're so inundated with with a certain kind of cinema the 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 hollywood cinema the, the classical hollywood cinema or the modern hollywood cinema and they have certain conventions of of performance of of set design of editing of shot construction that we come to think as the standard and anything that deviates from that is either you know daring in like a you know like a godardian way or incompetent depending on uh, our preconceived notion of the people who made the film and whether or not they intended to do something, uh, you know, that breaks from the norm. And right. I'm not really sure if that is a good way for, you know, kind of, you know, evaluating what it is like to watch a movie. Like I, I don't, I don't know what good acting is and I increasingly don't know what a good movie is. And, and this movie kind of made me kind of question everything about that. Because I really liked it, but it is not well made by the standards of 1946 Hollywood. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, most people's conception of a good movie, you know, is it, it is a fairly narrow definition that I think should be expanded. Um, and and I think that, I, you know, I, I think I'm getting better at doing that where, I, you know, I think I used to have like a, a, a longer list of... Uh, you know, criteria that had to be met for a movie to be good. And now I'm just like, well, you know, is it passionate? Is it, you know, is it showing me something I haven't seen? You know, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, I think Trump, uh, whether or not someone flubbed their lines or if it, you know, was made on a dime, you know what I mean? But uh, yeah. that's cool. It's, yeah. it's like, interesting. Like increasingly I'm, I, I become obsessed with like moments in films or just, with with uh, momentum, with with the way that a story builds and and, right. kind of, and, and the emotions coalesce to a point, and uh, and this movie does that. There there is a, a shot near the end that is as good as anything I have seen from 1946, in in much more sophisticated films, right? But, but it is it's just as moving. So I don't know. I I. I I, I wish I had been able to like go and and see these at the Grand Illusion, like in a theater on film instead of like on a, right. on a crummy YouTube stream, but with an audience, yeah. But yeah, but such as uh, such as life. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that so that ends that ends this week. But there is more stuff I'm sure of uh, value to watch coming up on Seattle screens. Uh, what are you looking forward to, Mike? Well, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, Francophonia, which is coming to SIF. Uh, it's the new film from Alexander Sokarov, who uh, did Russian Ark, which we talked about on uh, a previous episode of the previous podcast, uh, which I found a very interesting film. I think we both we both liked it. You liked it. I did. I, I really liked it. It was actually yeah. the, the second time I, I saw it, and I liked it a lot more that second time. Um, so, yeah, so this is the new one, uh, and... It's uh, it's also set in a museum uh, this time uh, at the Louvre, uh, and uh, sounds pretty interesting. Um, so and it's, it's playing at SIF for uh, I think two full weeks actually, um, the eighth through the twenty first. Is that two weeks? Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, what about you, Sean? Uh, well, coming up at the uh, at the Northwest Film Forum, uh, they are playing a couple of Shakespeare films. Uh, very rare ones, uh, uh, and they're presenting them free. 
There's a nice. 1963 version of As You Like It with uh, Vanessa Redgrave that was made for the BBC. Uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company did it. And uh, the next day, that's April 23rd. And then on April 24th is uh, Taming of the Shrew from 2005. And uh, yeah, they're both free. Uh, that Taming of the Shrew has uh, Shirley Henderson and Rufus Sewell. So nice. That's neat. And Shakespeare. Shakespeare, which ties in with what we're just about to talk about, mm -hmm. the essential Shakespeare film. Now, Shakespeare is the most heavily adapted author in you know cinema history. There are more movies based on Shakespeare, whether it's uh, you know uh, Laurence Olivier, you know very solemn and very you know oh you know an actor. I'm an actor. <laughs> or or you've got, you know, Nomeo and Juliet or whatever you've got. You know, the, the spectrum is, is vast with Shakespeare. Um, I, I get I, the feeling you haven't really seen Olivier do Shakespeare. No, I well, I was just trying to I was trying to just differentiate it from the Nomeo one. But okay. that's, I, I haven't seen that either, you know, but um, but yeah, so Shakespeare is all over the place. Yeah. You know, from from from. I mean, yeah, there's there's tons. And, and I, you know, we talked about it, you know, Ron just played here. Uh, actually, is it still playing? I think it's playing over the weekend. Yeah, too. yeah, they held it they, over for they held it over for the weekend. For the rest of the weekend. Um, at, at SIF, you know, so Kurosawa's done, you know, interesting takes on it. Um, there's been, you know, crazy stuff like Prospero's books. And then, the, you know, the, the teen romance comedies, you know, that 10 Things I Hate About You or something that takes a Shakespeare play and um, translates it to modern day. So there's a lot of ways to go with this. Um, I'm interested, Sean, uh, how faithful is your adaptation for your essential Shakespeare? Mm. Well, I got, I've got, i got two. You've got two? All I've, right. got, I've got two, and, and one is on television. Aha. Uh, and this kind of ties back into what I was talking about with, with Prospero's books, and it's that... Uh, uh, my first experience with Shakespeare for almost any Shakespeare is seeing it on film or on screen first before reading it. Uh, at least for all of the, the films that I watched. I watched them all as films before I read them as plays. Uh, I have since read plays that I haven't seen films of, but uh, these were the, the, the Shakespeare's that I saw first that I understood first, my first experiences of Shakespeare were on screens. And the first one was an episode of Moonlighting <laughs> where uh, it started, I, I must have seen this when I was like eight or nine years old. It starts with like a frame story of like a high school kid. He has to read Taming of the Shrew, but he doesn't want to. He wants to watch Moonlighting instead, but his mom like makes him read Taming of the Shrew and he falls asleep and dreams the play with all of the, the actors and characters from Moonlighting playing characters from Taming of the Shrew. And uh, when I was, you know, however old I was when I saw it, I thought it was the funniest uh, hour of television that I had ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. And I, I still remember it. And uh, Have I you revisited it? I haven't, because okay. like Moonlighting is really hard to find. It's not on any of the streaming services, and, and the DVDs were really expensive, and now they're out of print. But... Uh, yeah, that was that was my first ever Shakespeare, and uh, my my second pick is 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 another first, and it's uh, the first experience I ever had of Hamlet was the it was nineteen ninety uh, version directed by Franco Zeffirelli starring Mel Gibson, and I was in junior high, I think it was in seventh grade, maybe no ninth grade, uh, when it came out, 
And I saw it three or four times in the theater. I absolutely loved it. And I don't know if it's because of the film or it's because of Hamlet. I think it was probably because it was Hamlet. But still, that adaptation remains my favorite screen Hamlet that I've seen. And I've seen several different adaptations since. I've seen I've seen Olivier. I saw uh, David Tennant do a BBC version of it. I saw Kenneth Branagh's like massive seventy millimeter version. But the Mel Gibson one is still my favorite. All right, all right. Some curveballs there from yeah. from Sean Gilman this week. Uh, I cards on the table. My favorite Shakespeare film i've talked about it on the show before and so that's why i'm going to pick something different i, I think Charles... <laughs> yes which was in my sight and sound poll uh no i love chimes at midnight i and uh i mean i've always seen it once you know and but it kind of had the same effect for me as as like you're describing with your uh, your hamlet thing where um i just it stuck with me. I just, I, I, there's so many moments in that movie. having only seen it once uh, on 16 millimeter 10 years ago, but like, I just, it really spoke to me and it really got to, to like, I think the real, the greatness that is Shakespeare, you know, the greatness in Shakespeare, I think tr- is translated really, really well in, in that kind of rough and tumble, you know, Orson Welles kind of style, late, late Orson Welles kind of style. But I don't want to pick that. Um, I want to pick, a film that um, that uses Shakespeare, but brings it into a different era. And and I I have to go after watching Prospero's books. It's on my brain. Um, I'm gonna go with the Tempest adaptation that is Forbidden Planet, which mm. uh, I think is of is even if you don't know Shakespeare and you don't even know that it's based on the Tempest, that movie's fantastic. I love that movie. It's great. Robbie, the robots in it, Leslie Nielsen playing like a suave dude. Um, it's a great sci-fi film with a great, you know, uh, electronic score from the fifties. Um, but then to see the way that, uh, Shakespeare was modernized and modernized. I mean, for 1950s where they, they translate a lot of the, the essence of the play, but, into the kind of uh, psychoanalysis, you know, the, uh, that was going on at the time and turning these demons into the id and superego and all of those kinds of things in, in the, in the version of this, which takes place on a, you know, remote planet, uh, Altair four, I think it is uh, where a ship is, you know, it crashed. It's the same plot. It's really the same plot of the Tempest, but it, there's a robot in it. And I like robots, but uh, I think it's a great movie. Yeah, that's a, it's a movie that I need to rewatch now that I know the story of the Tempest, because I don't I don't really remember how it ends. And like I said, I was like taken by surprise by the way the Tempest ended. So I don't know if Fantastic Planet follows that in the same Forbidden Planet, Forbidden Planet Forbidden Planet follows that in the same way, or if I just didn't remember Forbidden Planet. No, I think Forbidden Planet does i think it 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 deviates it definitely okay. deviates in, in the end of it but uh but it has the same hallmarks that the tempest has leading up to that for sure. the most part i mean you know basic story beats and, and what have you um and it also tying it in with the melvins the uh in the climax of the film uh 
it's shouted, the fool, the meddling idiot, which is actually my favorite Melvin song of all time. And uh, so that's another reason I, I like that uh, movie. So that's our essential Shakespeare picks. And actually, going back to Chimes at Midnight, that's going to finally come out. I think we talked about this recently, but Janice and uh, Criterion are working on a restoration and Orson Welles' Chimes at Midnight uh, should see... Uh, home video release and hopefully like a larger, thea- you know, a theatrical release of some sort um, before the end of the year, which would be great. Yeah, and they've also uh, confirmed, uh, you know, it's not Shakespeare, but they confirmed that they're releasing Touch of Zen and uh, Janice is, is doing a restoration of uh, Dragon Gate Inn, which is going to be touring around also. Nice. But I mean, I, I already have both of those because Masters of Cinema already put them out. So. <laughs> You know. Yeah, but you'll go see them in the theater, though. I totally will go see them in the theater, but you know they're not going to come and play in Seattle because that's how Seattle works. Because you and I don't own a theater yet, so yeah, yeah we're working on it. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's our Shakespeare. Uh, we're gonna now dive into a little clip from uh, our second film of the show this time around, uh, The Princess of France, uh, from director Matthias Pinheiro. All right, so about 10 years ago, I bought a, uh, a complete works of Shakespeare, uh, a new one, which had all of the plays in chronological order. So I decided I was going to read them all in chronological order. Uh, and I did. I got about a third of the way through. Uh, I got up to, I think, Richard II. Uh, and uh, I liked most of them because, you know, they're Shakespeare. Uh, it's still like the early comedies, you know, it's not really any of the greats like the Hamlet, Macbeth, you know, the Tempest, obviously they come much later. Uh, one of the ones that really stood out to me was Love's Labor's Lost, which was some, which was a play that I had never really heard anything about. But when I read it, uh, it seemed like the funniest and like the cleverest thing I've ever read. It's just like all of this, like, like dizzying wordplay. And it was, uh, so much fun, and I don't remember anything about the plot. So in watching The Princess of France, which is kind of an adaptation, kind of inspired by Love's Labor's Lost, I have no idea how much of an adaptation it actually is. Uh, there, there's, a very, uh, there's a very direct relation to the play in that all of the characters in it are putting on a radio adaptation of Love's Labor's Lost. Uh, and the film is about their very uh, tangled 
emotional relationships, which is what Love's Labor's Lost is about as well. But beyond that, I really couldn't tell you. And as far as like a plot of Princess of France, I don't think I could tell you that either. <laughs> uh, basically, there's this like Lothario dude who manages to like, you know, get a bunch of pretty women to, you know, fall for him. But yeah. then he, but then he swears them off uh, because he's got to focus on his work or whatever. Um, and there's lots of confusion about who's sleeping with whom and all those kinds of things. And yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, there's there's the guy named Victor who was like the director of the the radio play, and he's been gone for a year, and he comes back, and he has a girlfriend who he hasn't seen, who he thinks is sleeping with one of his friends. Uh, he is in turn sleeping with another girl and uh, has another girl that is chasing after him. And I think he might be sleeping with somebody else too. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm not he sure. probably is. Or he had been sleeping with somebody else, but now is not interested in her anymore. There's like four women and they're all after Victor, except for his girlfriend who is after Guillermo. Yes. Uh, and uh, uh, Pinheiro... Uh, directs this in a really uh, in a really interesting way. Like the movie, the movie is about an hour long, about an hour and five minutes long. Uh, it's about half the length of the Tempest, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I re I really like this. Like like the the first opening shot is is kind of the most striking thing in the whole in the whole film, and it's this uh, it's this great uh, overhead shot of a soccer game. Uh, that's taking place in between like these tall buildings and the camera's vantage point is like several stories up on like the roof of the building looking down and we can partially see like the concrete soccer field where this match is going on one side has green jerseys the other side has orange jerseys and it, it, the the match plays out under the opening credits and as you're you're watching it you're like reading the names you, you start to realize that there are fewer and fewer members of the orange team and more and more on the green team until there's only one orange player left and uh all of like the green team lines up and chase after uh him or her and uh it's she, her it's her and she takes off running down the street and it's hilarious it's really cool that's easily easily the best part of this movie i i thought that part was great yeah uh and then it it kind of it gets it's really tangled because it like throws you in with all of these different people and the the title cards has explained who everyone has like the like you would get in the the program of a theater, uh, but still you're just you're just thrown in with these characters and you have to kind of like piece together the relationships as they go along. Uh, about halfway through, I kind of understood who everyone was when in relation to everyone else, and at that point, scenes start playing out in different variations and repetitions that might be dreams or might be uh, uh, this one woman trying, she's trying to get in touch with Victor and she asks different people and the actual, the motions that she goes through in like the, the blocking of the scene is the same regardless of who she's interacting with. And then it has a different result every time, depending on who she is talked to. Uh, I thought that was uh, weird. But I liked it. Yeah. 
it it just it seemed it seemed really playful and really fun and in kind of a, an analog to the way that that Shakespeare, as I recall, is having fun with language in Love Slavers Lost. I think Pinero is having fun with like cinematic language. That's interesting because that's this is my problem with this movie, and I and I'm sorry, I didn't like this movie. I just I did not I could not connect with this uh, at all, and it's because I couldn't find the fun in it. Like I really couldn't. Like I, I, I uh, confession, I hate young people, um, <laughs> and I and I have a hard time. You know, the, I think this is known about me. I have a hard time with movies about the lives of you know uh attractive 20 somethings um who all kind of have fluid you know sexual relations with each other and they're all kind of you know i don't know this new wave of uh artsy intelligentsia or whatever i i don't know i i these i didn't kid, like francis ha these and kids I like today this. with their relationships and they're having sex and talking about stuff yeah i i don't know <laughs> i know that that's just you know Something I'm just not predisposed to. I just I just don't care for it. But unfortunately, it was just it was solidified by watching this, where I was like, God, I hate Victor, and like I like all these women. Like <laughs> I don't know. I, I could I couldn't find that fun in it that that you uh, seem to have really latched onto. I like I said I, that soccer match at the beginning. I was like, okay, I'm into this. Like the music the music was playing. It was really great, and and the way that the the um, the team all ganged up on on her i thought that was great and then when it got into the just the relationship stuff and going between these people i hated every single one of them and i just wanted it to be over i really did and it's this felt it's half as long as prospero's brooks and it felt twice as long to me yeah i mean i don't i i wouldn't say i necessarily liked any of the people but i i recognized them and I thought uh, I don't know that is like necessarily wanting me to like them, but just kind of poke fun at their, you know, kind of silliness. Yeah, but I don't have time for that. <laughs> I get, I, 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 I understand that, I'm, and I'm not saying that I need to like like characters in movies. There's, I mean, Pennies from Heaven is my favorite movie of all time, and those are the most despicable. I mean, it's the most despicable people on the planet in that movie. Um, but, but in this, I was just like. I don't know. Every little thing Victor did and that they did, I was like, oh, get over yourself. Like, I, I just wanted them all to, like, just, like, get it over with and just have an orgy and be done with it. Like, just, you know, that'll cure all of the problems if you all just sleep together at the same time. Um, and, I, and, you know, I'm not as familiar with Love's Labor's Lost as I am with The Tempest. Um, I read up a little bit on it before uh, the show and, and kind of got the gist. And, yeah, I think this does the, tie in a lot in, in structurally, like with the, the way these relationships, you know, and the confusion and all that kind of stuff. I think that all ties in together. Um, but I haven't read the play um, for that one, and, I, and I'm not as familiar with it. And maybe that's hurting me uh, in, in, in viewing this. Um, but, like, I, I, I know what you're saying about the Shakespeare comedies. Like, some of them can be really, really fun. Like, I think Much Ado About Nothing is really fun. Um, I saw a pretty decent version of Midsummer Night's Dream uh, in high school that I thought was really great. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just the adaptation here. I just, I, I didn't find, like, I didn't find the fun that I've found in other Shakespeare comedies in The Princess of France. Yeah, see, I think, 
I mean, I think if if you're against insufferable uh, artsy young people uh, in film, then you would be against Love's Labor's Lost because that is basically what those people are. Except they're they're rich in Love's Labor's Lost because they're all like nobles, because nobles are the only people who have any time to uh, carry on in this manner. Uh, right. They're just like uh, like post college students in Princess of France, but uh, I don't know if I. Having been an insufferable youth once, I, I appreciate films about insufferable youth. Yeah, see, I was never insufferable. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess that's that's like the difference between you and me. <laughs> no, I, it's probably because I'm still insufferable, and yeah. maybe I see too much of myself in these characters. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, I wanted to like it. I really did, and 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 like I said, it set me up to enjoy it, and um, it just got kind of intolerable uh once it it tried to kick into the you know tangled relationship thing um mm-hmm. and then yeah i yeah i don't know you know the the and i don't and i don't like using the word pretentious um and i'm not saying that pinero is pretentious but the, the characters the pretensions of the characters and the way that they relate to art or whatever kind of just rubbed me the wrong way um, and they're also, and also they make terrible music that kind of pissed me off too. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I'm just a curmudgeon, I guess. I, I prefer the tragedy. Give me, give me the tragedy. And another comparison that I think may, uh, hurts this movie and they're coming from different places or whatever, but when, like you said, when it gets to that point where, um, we start seeing different variations on a character's, like a scene playing out based on which characters are in the scene. It reminded me of Hong Sang Soo, um, but it made me just want to watch a Hong Sang Soo. <laughs> um, it, it reminded me of, of certain bits in like uh, even something like Right Now, Wrong Then or um, uh, Oki's movie or whatever. Um, yeah, I think I think these are definitely the same kinds of people that you would find in in Hong Sang Soo films, um, which I which but, you, which you like also. But. I do like those, but but. Um, but, but I think in the Hong Sang Soo movies, um, there, I can latch on to a, a, a bit of humor in those. And, 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 and this just felt, I was stifled by the, um, character. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was a cultural thing, you know, maybe if this was Korean, I would have been, would have been on board. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not as funny as, uh. I mean, it's not as funny as the play. It's not as funny as as a lot of of Hong Sang Soo, uh, so I can kind of see that. But I was nonetheless, you know, enjoying it all the way through. Like it's not it's not dour. I found it kind of dour. I mean, there's uh, there's like really like one kind of dramatic thing that happens but it's not all that dramatic it's like the the guy who's been cheating on his girlfriend finds out that his girlfriend is cheating on him and yeah i mean it's it's kind of serious but i don't think it's all that serious i just didn't find it i I didn't find that playful whimsy that you seem to have found the energy in 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 the filmmaking or whatever that um exhilarated you i just i i felt it was kind of inert um, and I, I feel well, bad I mean, about it. You know, I mean, relative. To, I mean, this, it's relative. Like relative to to Peter Greenaway, it is not energetic at all. But you know, I thought I thought it was clever. It was it was a good. Uh, I thought it was it was fun. 
Well, bully for you. <laughs> it's neat. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I could have. I, I think an hour is like a perfect length for it. I, I, don't, I don't think I could have taken two hours. Right. Of all of that, but uh, <laughs> of, all of, that. of all of that, but uh, you know, for for an adaptation of Shakespeare that completely disregards the language of Shakespeare and especially of like his most linguistic play. Uh, at least of the comedies that I've read, mm-hmm. uh, I, th- I I was impressed. Well, I mean, and I was definitely intrigued by this. And you know, Pinero, this is the third of his. I think he's done three in a row that are uh, of a similar uh, yeah, kind th- of style. I think I think one is a short. Okay, um, but um, you uh, know, he, his got... his previous feature was uh, Viola, which I think is Twelfth Night. Twelfth Night, I think, yeah. Yeah. So. But I, yeah, I haven't, I I haven't seen that. This is the first Pinero I've seen. Yeah. Well, win some, you lose some. You know, <laughs> all's fair in love's labor's lost. What, what, what <laughs> fool you mortal be? That's right. Um, so anyway, yeah. So we're gonna listen to. I think we're gonna listen to a little bit more from uh, the NBC Orchestra. Is that the plan? Yeah. This is more of the overture to the Midsummer Night's Dream. To- Thank you, uh, Mr. Mr. Toscanini, uh, for that. Uh, that that recording of uh, of Toscanini and the NBC Symphony Orchestra is uh, is something I got from uh, pristineclassical.com, which is like this really amazing website that goes and takes really old uh, public domain recordings of classical music, and uh, through like the magic of technology, uh, remasters them and makes them sound pristine again and they have a lot of stuff of uh a lot of shows of of toscanini and the and the the orchestra they like would put on these radio shows for like an hour in the 40s and they just play a whole bunch of classical music and uh 
they have a whole bunch of other stuff there. So, so if you like that, if you like listening to old recordings, uh, which I really do of classical music, then uh, you should definitely go and check them out. And they didn't pay for that. I just you know want to uh, uh, mention them because we use their recording. So <laughs> uh, next time on the show, uh, we didn't talk about this and we, when we uh, talked about what's coming up on Seattle Screams, but uh, the Seijin Suzuki retrospective is arriving next week. Uh, the Northwest Film Forum and the Grand Illusion are playing about a, a dozen, I think, of uh, his films over the rest of April. And so on our next episode, we are going to talk about one of those films that they're playing. Uh, that is the 1963 film Youth of the Beast. And it is apparently a Yakuza film. So I'm excited. I haven't seen it. I have seen very little Suzuki. And along with that, we are going to watch uh, a movie that I have been meaning to see for at least 20 years and have yet to get around to it. And it is uh, Takashi Katano's uh, Sonatine which I believe is also a Yakuza film from, I think, 1992, 93, something like that. Something like that. Uh, yeah, that should be should be a lot of fun. Uh, I've seen a few Suzuki's. I guess we'll talk about it on the show. Um, and I, I haven't seen one that I've just been completely over the moon for. So hopefully Youth of the Beast. I mean, not that I haven't liked them. You know, I've seen um, uh, Brandon to Kill and uh, what's the other one that I saw? Uh, Tokyo Drifter. No, I haven't seen. To or maybe I've seen, may have seen Tokyo Drifter. Uh, okay. Fighting Elegy. I've seen. Fighting Elegy was is kind of meh. But anyway, why am I talking about that now? We'll talk about it next time on the show. Yeah. Uh, you can find out more about us at SeattleScreenScene.com, uh, and there's the Twitter uh, at SeattleScreen, and uh, we we have an email, right? SeattleScreen at gmail.com. SeattleScreen at gmail.com. Awesome. Uh, if you are in Minnesota, which is where I'm going to be uh, at the end of the month, uh, seeing some family and all that kind of stuff, and the first thing I do, I haven't booked hotels. Uh, I haven't, you know, gotten a rental car, but I looked at what movies are playing. <laughs> um so at the Heights Theater in the Twin Cities, uh, they're starting a series. I think it's beginning at the end of the month. Um, they're doing a series, it looks like weekly, uh, called Robert Mitchum, Cheap, Fa Flash, and Brilliant. Excuse me. Cheap, Flash, and Brilliant. Uh, that's going to be, they're doing a different Mitchum film once a week uh, in 35 millimeter. When I'm there, they're showing Out of the Past, which I'm really excited to go see. Um, hopefully I can convince some of my relatives to go with me or else they're just not going to see me when I'm visiting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it seems like a really cool theater. Uh, it's been around since 1926, celebrating its 90th anniversary. It looks like a really cool old-fashioned theater. But anyway, so they're showing that. Uh, a film I saw uh, last year, I think, and really, really liked. Uh, Nicholas Ray's The Lusty Men is playing um, and Cape Fear. I mean, it's going to be a pretty cool series uh, in Minnesota. So if you're that way, and I'd like to say uh, people out there that listen to this show, send us through Twitter or for, through email or whatever. Tell us about the rep theater in your city. Like if you live somewhere like Minneapolis or, you know, not like New York. I don't care. We know about New York. We know about what's going on in L.A. Screw, screw you guys. You know, well, I know I'm just saying, like, when, when we do these repertory picks and stuff, you know, I tend to go, what's playing in San Francisco? What's playing in L.A.? I tend to do those kinds of things. So 
I'd love to hear more about these these theaters that uh, are in, you know, Cleveland, Cleveland, the other cities in America or across the world. Like, I want to know more about the Heights Theater. That sounds like a cool place. So if if people out there uh, have a great theater near you that shows cool stuff, um, tell us about it. Yeah. Please, because so I can steal your ideas for future rep picks at the end of the show. Because I'm always scrambling right before we record the show to pick some stupid things. So anyway, uh, what is your pick, Sean? Well, uh, here's theater we don't uh, talk about often, and that is the BFI South Bank, which uh, I think is in London, and they have a massive Shakespeare series going on in April and May, uh, and it starts tomorrow actually with uh with the midsummer night's dream and the Laurence olivier hamlet and it continues through the end of acting and there's basically every shakespeare film you can think of is on there there's they've got uh you know all the different versions of henry v and of hamlet they've got uh like a week of ron there's west side story throne of blood prospero's books is playing at the end of may 10 things i hate about you Uh, kiss me kate Kiss Me Kate is the one I want to highlight because <laughs> wow, I can read mine. I absolutely love Kiss Me Kate. It is one of my favorite musicals. It's from what 1955, uh, directed by George Sidney, uh, with uh, Howard Keel, with Howard Keel and Catherine Grayson and Ann Miller and Bob Fosse, and it's by it's the Cole Porter play, and it is a crazy, amazing, wonderful film, and the BFI South Bank is playing it in 3D. Oh, May that's f- a, that was going to be my next question. Yeah, May 5th and 6th, so definitely go and see that. It's uh, it's Taming of the Shrew, of course, which, uh, which is still one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. Being ever, a shrew yourself. Ever, ever since Moonlighting. <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm I'm the uh, Bruce Willis to your uh, Sybil Shepherd. Definitely. <laughs> we need to uh, we need to brush up our Shakespeare. Yes. Um, so yeah. Until next time. I mean that that'll be that'll be cool. Uh, we'll we'll be back next time with some Suzuki. Uh, we need to brush up our Yakuza films. That's right. That's I got, true. I got a lot of research to do. Yeah, you didn't want to do prostitute films. No. To my chagrin. No. <laughs> All, right. All right. See you next time. Are we still recording? I don't even know if this is still are. on the show. Okay. Bye, everybody. <laughs> All right. Farewell. All right. All right. Have a, uh, goodbye. <laughs>